0: Welcome to the On The Edge Podcast with your host, Scott Groves. Hey, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? We're here, thank God, for another in-person podcast. And it's cooled down a little bit outside here in the Vegas heat, So the door is open, we're smoking a cigar, we might have to take a few puff breaks, so bear with us if you're listening to the audio and not watching the video. I'm here with my new friend of the last couple months and actually going to be a very important person in our family's life. His name is James Lomax. He is the founder and owner of the Henderson Acton Academy, A-C-T-O-N. Not to be confused with Acting Academy, because every time I've told somebody that I took my son and put him in Acton Academy, they're like, wait a minute, you just moved out of L.A. to get away from that type of influence, and then you put your kid in an acting academy? I'm like, no, Acton, A-C-T-O-N, look it up, it started in Texas, and we'll talk all about what it is. But I'm super pumped for my son's hero's journey. Uh, we had him in a private Christian school last year, which was a great school, but not the right fit for him. And I could see his confidence just dwindling on a daily basis. So um, I had some friends in Texas uh, that are very entrepreneurial. They're in the coaching space as well. They're in the mortgage space. Their kids are in an Acton Academy and uh, just kind of fell in love with it. Read the founder's book, the original founder in the original um, location. You're now the founder of Henderson. So, James, welcome to the program. And where do we need to start with Acton Academy?
1: Oh, boy. Uh, Depends on where you want to start. We can start with. How acting academy came about, the original, or how life skills academy, my Acton academy, came about. Wherever you well,
0: let's talk about the foundation of it. And you don't yeah. have to go into the full dissertation, but what's the what's the thought process of any Acton academy? I think there's about a hundred of them now, right? No, in the we're United up States.
1: to we're up to about three fifty worldwide. Oh, so, 350. Holy cow! Uh, we're in seventeen different countries, and uh, yeah, so over three hundred in the U.S. and growing every year. So they've had I think 18,000 people apply to open an Acton Academy so far. and wow. they have only accepted, like, you know, 350 so far. That's amazing. And, yeah.
0: and, you know, when I tell people about it, they're like, oh, that sounds a little Montessori, that sounds yeah. a little Waldorf, that sounds yeah. a little homeschooly. So tell us, tell us what Acton Academy is.
1: Yeah, so Acton Academy is, we like to call it, like, you know, think about the old school, like 1800s, even late 1700s. Everybody was educated in a one-room schoolhouse, right? The town had a one-room schoolhouse. All kids of all ages went there, and that's where they learned, right, until they were ready to apprentice or whatever they were going to do next. So we like to think of ourselves as like a a one-room schoolhouse for the 21st century. So take all the – basically decided that things weren't going the right way with education, right? So education – our educational system was designed in the late 1800s, and for the most part, it hasn't changed, right? So it was designed for the industrial age. So the ACTED model is actually looking at best practices for what skills the children actually need to go forward and be successful in the 21st century. I love it. And, you know, I've looked at like kind
0: of the evil conspiracy theory, put on your tinfoil hat, like the Rockefellers didn't want thinkers. They they didn't want other intelligent entrepreneurs and industrialists to compete with. They wanted they wanted uh, worker bees. You know, they wanted indentured service, basically. Um, So we're going to put you in a nine-to-five school room. We're going to teach you how to follow the rules and fill out the boxes. And then you're going to go be a factory worker. And in fairness, that probably worked for about 50 years, you know, late 1800s till post-World War II. But then, in my estimation, hence the reason we're seeking out alternatives, something has gone horribly wrong in the last 30 years. And can you articulate a little bit maybe like, what you believe has gone horribly wrong and how Acton Academy solves for that problem? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So first I'll step back. You know, I love a good conspiracy theory, but what right. you said, that's fact. Right? right? That, is, that is 100%. It was all the Rockefellers and the big, the, basically the situation was the U.S. was going from an agrarian society into an industrial society. So we had all these Americans who were farmers, entrepreneurs on their own, And now we needed all these people to go work in factories. And then we have all these immigrants that we're bringing in. Most of them don't speak English, right? So they all got together and said, what do we need to do? We need a system that's going to turn them all into obedient workers, right? And that's exactly what they did. And I think it was brilliant, right? So at the time, that was the best thing that we could do and it was extremely valuable to the success of our country. Yeah. But. And, but. <laughs> and then came the information age, right? So it worked up until the 19, early 1970s, right? Yeah. That model worked just fine. That's because it's exactly what we needed. But you look at school now, right? And it's like, there's bells, right? What are those bells for? Right? It was to train everybody that when the whistle blows, you get up and you go to the next station, right? Um, And then there's somebody in front of the class and you are obedient to them, right? They have all the knowledge, you don't. You just do what they say. So that's what school was for. But then we get to the information age, right? And the computer comes around and, oh, wait, we have robots. And those robots can do those manual tasks much quicker and with much more accuracy than people can do them, right? And so then you have AI come, AI can automate away a lot of rote jobs that require you to memorize stuff, right? So school itself didn't change, so what can we do differently, right? So we looked at the skills that you actually needed in the 21st century that can't be automated away by AI. So those skills are the ability to communicate, the ability to collaborate, to to critically think, and to creatively problem solve, right? And those are the four skills that AI will never be able to do. I feel like you've said those before. Say those again, those four yeah. skills. Communication, collaboration, critical thinking, and creative problem solving. So I call it the four tw- four C's of 21st century. I love it. Right? So if you think about... Traditional school, it doesn't do any of those things. In right. fact, it it tries to get you to not do those things. Right. Right. You want to talk to somebody else in class, like that's not allowed. Right. You want to the teacher says something, and you say, "Uh, oh, I don't think that's true," or "I think differently." Not allowed. Right. Right. Uh, you want to, they don't teach critical thinking at all. They teach you to listen and do as you're told. Right. Right. And then they problem solving is just not a thing because there's always one right answer. Right, right, and,
0: and the idea—the idea that we would still be going down that path in a post-Google world—is right. crazy. Uh, you know, our, our my right-hand man here, Chris DeRosa, his mom was a lifelong teacher, and I even remember her saying at one point, like. The idea that you would ever again memorize the periodic chart of elements (laughs) is just laughable. You know, we would be better off spending that whole year trying to teach people how do these minerals interact with each other and how do these elements, you know, do this and cause that. And like the idea that you have to memorize BR is next to pH or I'm sure that's not correct, (laughs) but uh, because I could never memorize (laughs) shit. That's why I failed chemistry. Um, But it's just it's pretty laughable when everything is everything is information on demand. Right. Hundred percent. So, so how does Acton solve for this, right? So we've identified the problem, Um, you know. And it's funny when you mention the nineteen seventies, I think of like education that used to work was maybe pre-Detroit falling apart. It's like everybody in the city could get an amazing union-paying job where one parent could be working, pulling levers, pressing out metal sheets, working for an auto union, and have a great middle-class lifestyle. But obviously, the, the fall of Detroit is kind of a great analogy for all this, where all of a sudden, a vast majority of the country can't make a quality, middle-class living just pressing sheet metal. Right. So, so then, you know, 70s and 80s times of transition, I think probably by the 90s and the early 2000s, a lot of people like you are waking up being like, hey, we got a big problem. How does Acting Academy solve for, for that dilemma?
1: Right. So a lot of what you see in education now is people are going to take the existing model, right? And they're like, oh, we're going to improve upon it, right? So, oh, we're going to include computers or, you know, we're going to send them home with more homework and this is going to solve the problem, right? But, like, Acton actually looks at, like, we are trying to make people of character. So, we we focus on uh, learning to learn. So, we always say we don't teach anything, right? Our guides are always Socratic, which means the Socratic method. So, We never answer questions, right? So if a student asks us a question, we come back to them with another question. So uh, that's a huge part of it. So it's instead, you know, school teaches you to learn specific knowledge, right? Where we're teaching you how to learn, right? Because the thing I always like to think about is, like, so I'm born in 1979. So when I was in kindergarten in, whatever, 1985, could my teachers even fathom the Internet? Right, wasn't even thought about, right? Right. So, how on earth could they prepare me for jobs that they didn't even know existed? Right. Right. But that's what they were trying to do. When Bill Clinton was president, he did not have an email. Right. I mean, uh, we were both born <laughs> right. in '79, yeah. so not
0: that long ago. The most powerful human right. on planet Earth didn't have a fucking email. Right. So, that's... like to your point, the idea that in 1985, unless there's some way out in left field <laughs> science fiction buff, right? Yeah, you couldn't. You couldn't have thought of any of this right. stuff. We both have a car right. that drives itself, for right. goodness sakes. I mean, that's, that's right. Jetsons
1: type stuff. Right. So, so you, you look at, like, Gabe right now, right? So I can't, we can't fathom what the jobs will be when he's, like, an adult. So right. how do we prepare him for that? We can't prepare him with specific skills. But what we can do is teach him not what to learn but how to learn, right? So when he's in any situation, he's like, oh, okay, I know what to do here. This is the skills I need to learn, and I know how to learn. So that's what we focus on. So we focus on learning to learn, uh, then learning to do. So we're called the Life Skills Academy because we want all of our learners when they leave to actually be able to do real things, right? Right. Because you leave school, traditional school right now, what can you do? You can take tests if you're good right at that. Right. Most people aren't. I can get into junior college to go to college, (laughs) to go to grad
0: school, to go teach at grad school, to be $200,000 in In debt. debt.
1: Right. Right. Because they've never learned that. Oh, can we calculate the return on investment of that college investment? Nope. We never learned that part. But they tell us to go to college because that's the the key to the American dream. Right. But they never taught how to how do you calculate that? Is this is this worth it? Right. Or is there another path? That's not an option. Right. It's all college. So we focus on, you know, actually them having tangible skills by the time they're done with high school, right? And the the final and probably the most important part is learning to be. And what we mean by that is like character, right? So we're not telling them what their morals or values are as a person, but we want them to know what those values are and how to live by their values, right? So by the time they're leaving, they are learning to stand up for themselves. This is what I believe. And then how to deal with people who may have different values and morality than they do, right? And we think actually, that's the most important part. So they're becoming people of character. And then that character is going to lead them to the right actions that are going to lead them to success.
0: Yeah, because you know, looking back on my, we'll just pick junior high years, other than one history teacher, shout out to Stan Bartoziak, because he was probably the best teacher in L- LA, LA USD Glendale Unified, <laughs> the entire Southern California, best teacher ever. Um, other than some very specific stuff he taught me about the Aztecs and the Mayans. Yeah. Like I just remember being like, oh, this guy wears a tie every day. And he's like clearly a man of like character. Right. And we had a lot of conversations. Like I remember him telling us, um, He said something to the effect, he spoke like seven languages, brilliant guy. And I remember him saying like, oh, what other classes are you taking? And like, you know, he got to like Spanish or French or something. A bunch of people raised their hand. He's like, that's a waste. That's a waste. (laughs) He's like, pretty soon there will be, you know, he didn't call it an app because he couldn't envision what an app is. He's like, but pretty soon there'll be just a thing where you can teach yourself language. Like, go go figure out how to learn some other communication skill or take drama or learn how to work with other people on stage and whatnot. And I was like, at the time, I was like, oh, that's that he would be telling me that I'm basically an idiot <laughs> for taking, you know, 7th grade Spanish. Right. But I respect the guy. Right. He must be onto something. something. Um, I, I, I want to make sure we don't gloss over something yeah. that, that you said. In the Acton Academy model, you know, you didn't even refer to them as teachers. You referred no, to it as a guide. Right, right. So in that Socratic method, which I think that's one of those words that people think they know what it means, but right. they don't actually know what it right. means. Can you explain why in Acton, there's a guide and not a teacher?
1: Right. So we don't actually... We say, like, in traditional classroom, you have the, the sage on the stage, right? So the focus is on the teacher. They have all the knowledge, and their job is to put that knowledge into children, right? That's the model. We believe all children are geniuses, and I don't mean, I don't mean intellectually. I, it, what, we say by, what we mean by that is all children have their own unique talents and gifts, and everybody has that special gift in them, and we're there to help them bring that out. So if you believe somebody is a genius, you probably treat them a little bit differently, right? So we don't establish this hierarchical model where I say, I know more than you do, right? So the guide and the learners, as we call them, we don't even call them students, or we call them heroes, uh, are on the same level. Yes, the guide is an adult and they have responsibilities for safety and schedule and some other things, but there's no hierarchy there. So that's why we make the distinction. So the guide is never teaching anything so the guides introduce things and then let the learners kind of decide how they feel about things so we're never going to say uh this is this is the right answer about this thing in history that's not how it works we'll introduce something and then say what do you think let's debate it so the socratic method really you know you go back to socrates it's a method of teaching by asking questions right And what I always tell people is I have very strong opinions about a lot of different issues and I know my guides do as well. Right. But if any of the learners ever know how I feel about an issue or the guides, we failed. Right. So our role is to facilitate discussions, but not actually to indoctrinate, which happens a lot in school.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I'm trying to balance two thoughts here. I'm trying to balance, yes, this is exactly the way that school should be taught, hence the reason I gave you my money and enrolled right. my child, and child. Thank you. Child number two <laughs> starts in January. Um, and, and I'm like, well, you get a bunch of six-year-olds together, and they decide that Santa Claus was our first president right. instead of George Washington. Right. At some point, there is factual knowledge right. that the guide as an adult knows and the children yep. don't know. Right. So how do you reconcile that because yeah. I don't want my 6-year-old to think Santa Claus was the first president right. because all the other 6-year-olds like Santa Claus more than they like right. George Washington. Right. So how how do you how do you compensate for factual truth yeah. versus like letting the kids discover their own truth. Like right. this is a question I meant to pose to you in the interview yeah. process and I'm like, whatever, this guy seems pretty <laughs> smart. Seems smarter than me. He used to be a top gun pilot. I trust him, whatever. He'll figure it out. But I was like, "Well, wait a minute. What happens right. if the kids establish an actual falsehood as like their belief does the guide then step in and be like no no reality check now i'm putting on my teacher hat
1: no that's an awesome question so what you see a lot of times is like somebody will throw out something and they'll say yeah uh abraham lincoln was the first president or yeah somebody actually said this last week abraham lincoln was the first president and then what immediately happens somebody else is like bullshit really oh yeah at that age already happened Amazing. Already happened. So like, or like from the guide perspective, what we can do at that point is can you bring me back a can you go find a book or a source from the internet, multiple sources from the internet that prove what that statement you just made is true? Right. So we actually teach them how to do research. Right. So you can come you can say whatever you want, but then somebody's gonna call you out and say, can you prove that with the real source? And if you can't, like, it's not going to fly, right? So a lot of times, like, we don't give children as much credit as they do. Children are way more capable than we actually think about it. Because if you go back and you think about it, even to, like, the 1700s, 1800s, 12, 11-year-olds, what were they doing? They're going to war, right? Yeah. And then now, like, 12, 11-year-olds like, can barely, like, dress themselves, right? They're capable, So, like, when you give them the space to actually prove what they can do and let think, they will surprise you every single time. That's amazing. I'm
0: going to butcher this story, but it it feels like it's worth telling at this point so you can puff on your cigar if you want. Um, uh, A a good friend of mine and a mentor, he's an Ashkenazi Jew, originally, you know, three generations, four generations back from a small village outside of Russia. And he's probably in his 70s now. So let's see, that would have made his father in his, like, 20s, in the 50s, 30s. So his his great-grandfather was turn of the century, first, mm. first immigrant into America. And again, I'm going to butcher this story, or whatever. Sure, but sure. but he, had, he had this thought process when he was getting, like, his 23, 24-year-old stepson ready to drive cross-country in a U-Haul that mom had rented for him and packed for him. And they know the kid's a little, like, kind of goofy so they had printed out map directions and they had preloaded mm. the directions on his phone and they gave him the phone numbers to call AAA and u-haul just in case you got a flat tire and whatnot and my buddy was reflecting he's like you know i've heard many times the story of my either grandfather or great-grandfather at the turn of the century 1900s obviously um came from a small russian village uh immigrated to london somehow and one day walking home from school when he was like 13 or 14 was like Fuck it, I'm going to America. Went down to the docks, yep. found some boat captain who was like, Hey, can I work my way across the ocean? Passes in. They're like, Yeah, if you do three trips, we'll drop you off and leave yeah. you in New York. So the guy worked on a boat for like three trips back and forth, landed in New York with, you know, whatever dollars he had in his pocket, built himself up until he could come back home and tell his parents like four or five years later, Hey, I didn't die. Right. I just <laughs> left eighth grade one right. day and went to America and didn't want to come back till I had enough money to bring you with me. Right. And he's like, "That's a 14, 15-year-old somewhere mm-hmm. in that in that range where, you know, a hundred years later, yeah, a hundred years later, we're terrified to let a 14 or 15-year-old go on a camping trip right. or shoot a rifle, right. supervise. Or, I mean, it's just it's just mind mind-boggling. Boggling. Yes. Um, and then you get to colleges and you're like, well, they need safe spaces. They need <laughs> this and you can't offend people. And I'm like, what? Right. We're so screwed. Right. China's probably building super soldiers <laughs> in like a matrix text test tube. Right. And we're scared of offending 20-year-olds. Right. I'm like, this is crazy. Right. Um, anyway, I could go down a really deep path there. I don't know why I felt the need to tell you that story, but I think just you saying that we have to have more faith in kids, it inspired me to tell that story. And Yeah. one day we'll interview that guy and he'll tell the real version of it, but it's something along those right. lines.
1: No, and I've heard many different stories along those lines, right? I find that fascinating of what, you know, not even... Not even 50 years ago, what children were capable and allowed to do, and now, and the expectations of them, and now what we can do, and it's like, doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. And and there's got to be some
0: positive in there. You know, there's got to be some, there's got to be some silver lining that I'm just, like, ignorant to seeing, but it does, it does worry me. Um, you know, we're two weeks into this experiment, right. right? Life Skills Academy is brand new. My kid's brand new to it. And you were mentioning before we got started that, um,
1: yeah, it's kind of like the Lord of the Flies right. week. Like w- w- when you say Lord of the Flies, w- what do you mean? Right. So uh, probably, I'll say most of your audience is probably familiar with that book. You're forced to read at some point during school where you have this group of uh, boys who, what happened? They crashed? They, they crashed a plane right. on an cra- island. Right. And so there's no adults, all these boys like age four, 13 and under, right? And they basically have to form their own society and, and live. And side note, this actually apparently happened in real life. Oh. Like, the, the story isn't true, but the same thing actually happened where there was like a boys soccer team that actually crashed on an island and lived, uh, I think, a couple months wow. on the island. Nobody got killed. Um, so. Good to know. But, uh, so, yeah, on day one, we start with no rules, right? So they come in. And the adults are kind of in the back of the room, and we interject for when it's time to do whatever. But we give them a lot of free time, and it's interesting to see a lot of the older children, like they've been in school before. So somebody like takes a toy or takes something from somebody, and they run to an adult, right? And like he took that from me, or he said a bad word, and we're like, our answer is like, well, what are you going to do about that? And they're like, what? You're not going to solve our problem for us? And we're like, nope. So the first day is very, very rough. There's tears, uh, and it's hard for us to watch, too. There's tears. There's, luckily, there's no blood this time. I, I kind of expected blood, but we didn't get there. Uh, but by the end of the day, the last thing we did on the first day was like, okay, this is your space. You own it. You're responsible for it. What rules do we need? And they were so fired up by then, they just got to it and like, okay, It's not acceptable to hit another person, right? It's not acceptable to break stuff. It is not acceptable uh, to run away, right? These are, you know, and they had a bunch of rules. And since they came up with them, they are the ones that enforce them, right? And it has meaning to them instead of some adult saying, this is how it goes, right? And it's super powerful. And this happened within a day? First day. First day. And are they actually
0: living by the rules or has there been some blood yet?
1: There no blood since then. Um, you know, their children, right, or even adults would have problems. Nobody follows the rules all the time, but when somebody right. doesn't follow the rules, there's another child that says, remember, we talked about this. This is what we're going to do. And the fascinating thing has been a lot of times where we have a five-year-old, you know, he was very shy the first day, but he's the one now, and he's like, you know, we introduced the rules of engagement for our Socratic discussions. So anytime somebody does something wrong, that five-year-old's like, hey, dude, like rules of engagement or like, hey, this is what you did wrong. Like he is upholding the laws, the youngest person there. And it's fascinating. Yeah.
0: And what's the age group in the in the room, in the studio?
1: Right now we are the youngest is five and the oldest is 10. And, you know, somebody hearing that for the first time would be like, Oh, what a disservice
0: you're doing right. to a ten-year-old because right. you know he should be a grade level ahead and right. he should be doing this and he you know if anything he should be around fifteen-year-olds right. or twelve-year-olds or teachers should be pouring into him. W- why does it work for the older kids just as well as it works for the younger kids? Because I right. can see the benefit of Gabriel. Like I can see confidence already. Right. He's playing with the older kids. Right. He's, he's trading necklaces with them. Right. You know, I had to stop myself because he was like well, dad, I, I'm going to take a toy to school. And I'm like, you can't take a toy to school. <laughs> right. And then he was like, and he just got all depressed. And I was like, wait a minute. What do I care if he takes right. It's right. like It's like none of these toys are sacred. He's right. going to break them all here, or his little right. sister is, or the dog is going to... Who gives a shit? Yeah, right. take, take whatever you want to school. Right. He's like, well, can I trade it? I'm like, I don't care. It's right. yours. Right. Like, it was gifted to you. You can do whatever the right. hell you want with it. Yeah. And so... Like sometimes I'm worried he's stealing stuff because he's coming home with like (laughs) necklaces and he's like yeah I traded for this and and then we did this and then and then one of the guys just wanted to give it to me I'm like are you you sure sure? (laughs) he gave it to you or did you just steal it from his bag he's like no dad he He gave gave it it to me me. I'm like all right well until we get a call from the guy I'm just gonna trust that you're not stealing stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I, think he's becoming quite the merchant cause he's got uh, oh, yeah. a bunch of chains and necklaces. Now. Yeah, every day
1: I see him, he's got more and more. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> so somebody in the class doesn't like wearing necklaces, right. but likes Gabriel's toys. That's and there's 100%. some, there's some drug deal going right. on
1: out of the backpacks every yeah. morning. So like to answer your question about the, the olders, I think they get more out of it because, and it's been fascinating to watch that too, because this whole thing is like, we, we kind of know what's going to happen, but even me. This is the first time actually being in charge of this and watching it for myself. Uh, it's a big social experiment, right, as we're creating a civil society from nothing. But the elders, like, when they first, they're, like, they're a little bit annoyed, right, that there's, like, these younger five-year-olds, and they're, like, you know, oh, they can't play as hard as we do. We're going to hurt them. But literally by day two, you saw the oldest children were, like, taking, like, responsibility for the younger, so in learning how to include them in games and, like, how to play rough enough, but not too rough, right, to hurt them. And, like, now they're, like, big brothers to the big sisters to these littles, right? And that's where the learning happens. So we have, you know, we do reading time every day where we let them just read whatever they want. Five-year-old, most of them can't read, right? So, like, a nine-year-old will just snuggle up with a five-year-old and read a story to him, right? Like, so the responsibility that the olders are getting, uh, you can't beat that, right? And, like I said, like, for most of American history, when we were in the one-room schoolhouses, that's how it was done, right? The elders took responsibility for the youngers. And giving them that responsibility, I think, is huge, right? And uh, on the toy front, yeah, it's been really interesting. So I think, I think it was Friday last week, somebody brought in a Nintendo Switch, right? And we don't have any rules that say you can't bring in stuff, toys. Our only rule is if it doesn't fit, like, in a 3 by 3 box, don't bring it in. So somebody brought a Nintendo Switch, and then they had it in their pocket. Somebody else ran into it. Shattered. Right? Destroyed. Destroyed. Probably that kid's prized right. possession. And, like, so everybody's like, oh, my God, what do we do? And I was like, there was a natural consequence, right? He made a decision to bring that, and it got broken. And now he has to deal with that consequences. So we're very big on you take an action, and there are consequences sometimes for your actions and you have to live with those. Right. So he went home and was like, you know, crying to his mom and his mom was like, maybe you shouldn't have brought that. Right. You're not getting, he's like, can I get a new one? And she's like, not till you can afford one. Right. So he has to live with that consequence. And I think that's where learning happens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because the only learning that would happen in the traditional model
0: is a 30-minute fight between the parents right. and the kids to start the day of all the reasons you can't bring it, all the things that might right. go wrong, yada, yada, yada. And then what ends up happening? You get resentment between parent parents. and child. Right Now, there might be resentment between parent and child right now that the parent's not rushing out to buy the kid a right. brand-new Switch, but what a better lesson for the kid. right? Um, I'll, I'll never forget this. When I was a child, um, I lost... My, my parents, very good people, very well-intentioned, no clue what they were doing. You know, they were like they were nineteen and twenty <laughs> right. when oh, I was born, yeah, yeah. and like they just they 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 were working their ass off. You know, like they, they were good parents, but but money was hard to come by, and um and yeah, they didn't know what they didn't know. There was no personal development right. books, and there was no <laughs> right. acting academy and whatnot. And so I remember losing like a like a sweat a sweatshirt that was my prized possession. It was like. My mom was on her feet all day for work, so she had uh, she allowed us to buy a pair of nice shoes. Yeah. She was like, "You gotta take care of your feet." Everything else was like Kohl's <laughs> leftover and like yeah, the Husky section at, yeah. at Target or whatever. Um, but I was able to get like, this one Quicksilver sweatshirt. Ooh, I'll never Quicksil- forget. It. Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah, it was like it was it was blue plaid button up <laughs> gray hoodie. It was so freaking cool, and I lost it. Uh, and um, uh, and I'll never forget like my parents just being livid at me. Yeah. Because I'm sure that represented several hours of work for right. my mom, um, and I, I really did. I did. Looking back, I did not care uh, how mad they were. It's like whatever, your parents. You're supposed to buy me shit. <laughs> but the fact that I like lost something of value that oh, I yeah. couldn't replace because I knew we didn't have money to. That was the consequence. Where right. like, even to this day, I hold on to shit, and I'm like, well, I might really want to wear that t-shirt one day again. Right. And my and my wife's like, first of all, it's free um uh the uh, the raiders don't play in oakland anymore and uh you know it's got eight holes in it so right. maybe we can let it go i'm like yeah i don't know can we at least like secondhand use it or turn it into a rag or like right. i just can't i can't let it out of the house yet um and so yeah it's weird how these like consequences stick with yeah. you um so what's what's more of the upside because you know i i i know kind of how the curriculum works but for people that are listening it's like, all right, great. The the nine year old is getting managerial experience right. and and caretaking experience, reading with the five year old. But I I need my six year old to learn how to read. Right. So how how does that happen? How does the act actual academic rigor happen? Because I won't use them by name. Right. But the school right up the street from us, behind <laughs> who just crushed my kid's spirit for a year, um, was like, you must be one grade level ahead, and you oh. must do this, and you're getting a ninety two percent overall. 92% in kindergarten. You're getting 92% overall in the class, but you're really failing in these areas. And it's like, okay, I hate that. And I want my kid to be able to read one day. Right. Um, and I'm horrible <laughs> at, at teaching my kid things. Right. I have zero patience. Yeah. Like the first time I was trying to teach them some math, I was like, Gabe, you're, you're just fucking with me right now. <laughs> like we went over, we went over counting your numbers right. and two plus two is four. Like, like you should have been able to memorize that in the last half hour, and and now you're just fucking with right. me, right? Like for sure, <laughs> there's no chance your your brain is small, and it's young and it's underdeveloped <laughs> for mathematical skills. But there's no way you cannot remember this right. in the last 12 minutes. Um, so I am not the person yeah. to teach right. very well at, at home. So how do how do the kids learn?
1: Right. So that's awesome question. So our basis is the Montessori method. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all, but ish. Uh, Most people aren't, so, and honestly, what, three, four years ago, I barely knew what it was. Uh, I just thought it was something weird kids did uh, that didn't want to go to real school. So, Maria Montessori, she's like this rock star in the late 1890s who comes up, she's the first, one of the first female doctors in Italy. And she gets her MD in Italy, and they're like, hey, yeah, we're never going to let you work in a real hospital because, you know, you're a woman. So, they send her to this, like, ghetto apartment where they have all these kids that are running around because their parents are all in factories now. So she just starts observing the kids, right? And she starts figuring out that a way for them to learn. So if you can put the right materials in their hands, so something they can physically touch to quantify, like for math, right? If I can actually put uh, a, a rod in your hand and say this is one, and then put another one and say now you have two where you can physically now feel the difference in size and weight, it, it, it makes sense to you because you can also feel it, right? So the Montessori method is based on them being able to physically feel things and the materials actually are designed so that children can teach themselves, right? So they get to decide at the young ages when they're learning how to read and learning you know, numbers and addition and subtraction, what they want to do every day, and then as they master a skill, they move on to the next and to the next and to the next. So that whole grade-level thing, that was just a made-up construct, right? Not a real thing, right? So I guess technically, like, I could be in 37th grade or whatever I would be right now. Like, it's not a thing, right? Right. So it's just a way to group kids that we don't do, right? Because everybody, you know, everything, I don't know how much you know about statistics, right? But, like, you remember the bell curve, right? Yep. So everything happening with a person happens on a bell curve. So you're going to have 68% of people that are within the curve, and then you're going to have your outliers, right? And that's all normal. But they design the system that say, okay, 68% of these people are going to be within this curve, so that's the standard, right? So they should be able to read at this point and and do this at this point. But what you really have is that nobody's ever actually that average person, right, that they're designed around. So by letting people learn at their own pace – Uh, you actually let them move much farther, right? Because they don't get the stigma in their head like, oh, I I can't do third grade math, so that means I'm stupid, right? And a lot of people have that in school. And the other thing that we do differently is like, what happens in regular school, right? You work on a task for a week. You take a test. You got a 70% on that test, right? Well, you didn't know 30% of the material. So let's say it's math, like third grade math. You take that test, you got a 70%. There were some key concepts you didn't understand, right? But now you move on. So math is additive, right? So you need those concepts in the next level. So it's like building a house on like, you know, let's say you build 70% of the foundation and you're like, up, oh, good enough, right? Let's build the first floor, up 75%, good enough. Second floor, 78%, let's go. By the time you get to the third floor, the whole thing collapses, right? And that's what happens in regular school. So our whole foundation is based on what we call mastery. So instead of like letting somebody stop when they get to 70%, we make them do it till they have mastered that skill. So basically, so everybody gets to 100% and then they go forward from there and they go at their own pace. So what we've seen, and we've already seen it, we started doing the assessments yesterday. So what we see is like, maybe somebody traditionally would have been in fourth grade. We assess them. There was some skill back in second grade that they never grasped. So we put them in at that level, and then they go back and they master that skill, and they're a little frustrated. But once they get that one skill they missed, they just, like, go very fast, right? Next thing you know, they're, like, 6th, 7th, 8th grade level. So, and it's very interesting that, like, the traditional math and, like, language art skills, we only spend about an hour and a half on that a day. But using the traditional metrics, like when you do standardized testing, act and model, on average, our students are getting two and a half years of grade level growth each year. Because they're mastering that, because they're mastering core concept that maybe they would have missed elsewhere. Yeah, it's that, and the fact that we are—they're learning actually how to think, and not how to answer questions to get it right on a test. Right. Because most people take tests, and maybe you go back three weeks later, give them the same test, they're going to fail. Right. Right. Uh, So if you go to mastery, those skills are maintained. Right. If you're going at your own pace, you actually maintain those skills. So. And then we're giving them real-world applications like, why does this matter, right? And we don't just do things that don't matter, right? You talked about the periodic table of the elements, right? What value is that to memorize that? We have Google, right? But if you're going to do chemistry, you need to know how to apply that and what it all means, right? And then you can go back to Google when you want to know, okay, what's the alkali metals or alkali earth metals? What's this and how they relate to that? Like, you can go look up that chart. But once you know how to apply it, you can do anything, right? Right. So it's no value in the information age when I can have that answer in five seconds on Google to memorize that chart.
0: Right, right. No, I, I, I love all of that. And <clears throat> I totally get how it works in math. Yeah. That totally makes sense yeah. to me because you can, you can hold a bead and then two beads right. and 10 beads and then right. you can count. I, I still don't understand how it works in language. Reading. Yeah.
1: So I was watching it today earlier today. So we have a couple like five-year-olds who, like, they don't even know the alphabet yet, right? So where they're starting, like, is here are the letters. We introduce the letters, and the physical act of we actually have them trace the letters so there's actually a feeling to it that makes it real. So we start, okay, this is the alphabet, right? And then we actually start physically having them move letters around. So we show them a picture of a cat, right? And, okay, now can we spell... Cat, okay, we got to find the C, the A, and the T. Put those together, start spelling, and then slowly, like, they start making word sounds, then they write it. So when you actually have them, like, you combine a lot of things. So they're visually looking at pictures of stuff they know what it is, and then they're actually seeing the letters that make up those things, and they're physically touching them and manipulating them. And they learn to read very, very quickly.
0: Interesting. Yeah. You know, it's funny because... In my negative mindset, because that's where I live in default, which is something (laughs) I'm constantly trying to work on, I would be like, well, doesn't this create, like, a lot of potential environment for bullying? Like, if you have a a nine-year-old in the same class that's, you know, reading Harry Potter, looking at a five-year-old who can't spell cat. Right. Like, just the negativity in me is like, well, doesn't that nine-year-old make fun of the five-year-old for not being able to read? Right. Like, how does that dynamic either take care of itself or how does the guide help resolve that? Because- Kids can be vicious to each vicious. other, yeah, like super vicious. Yeah, um, if I ever want to like think of just a really mean insult, I'm like, oh, what would I, what would, what would like junior high Scott oh. say about this person? <laughs> <Right>. You know, we <laughs> were just out eating dinner right now, and there was um, a, a young lady who let's just say was um, very, very large, yep. and decided to come into the restaurant in a tutu. And Ooh, the yeah. smallest bikini top I've ever seen. So welcome there was to Vegas. Yeah. yeah, welcome to Vegas. There was a lot of human just yep. hanging out, and all I could think about is what would Junior high <laughs> What would what would Junior High Scott say yeah. to this person? And then I was like, whatever, she's a person. She deserves my respect. Um,
1: very hard to do. <laughs> um, so how
0: how do how do you prevent the right. the cattiness?
1: I guess right. So a big part of that is the central theme of what we're talking about is hero's journey. We focus a lot on what does it mean to be a hero, right? So everybody is, is a hero, right? They're trying to win their own story. So once you understand like what the hero's journey looks like and where you are in your own journey, you then are able to accept that, okay, that five-year-old's on a completely different journey than I am. And I need to, you know, watch my own journey. And then two, probably the rules they've made, like, is like we're not going to make fun of other people, so like that that's going to happen, right? That so one nine year old's going to say, "Oh my God, you can't read, you idiot," but something much more imaginative than you know I think of, right, right, right. Uh, and like somebody else is going to be jump in and check him, like, dude, is that is that is that how we do it in here? Is that how we behave? Is that what we want to do? And usually they're like, "Oh no, you're right, no, sorry," and they apologize, right?
0: It just seems like magic. It doesn't seem like it should work, right. But it's, somehow it does, right,
1: right. And it's it's <coughs> weird because it's like. I've been thinking about all this in theory and I hear about all the other schools doing this, but this is the first time, like obviously I'm doing it and watching it mm-hmm. and you're like, Oh my God, this because in the back of your head, there's still that little voice is like, yeah, you're like, this is not going to work. <laughs> this is this shit gonna is not going to work. Yeah. And then you actually watch it and you're like, Oh my God, this is magic. But then there's then 10 minutes later, right? Everything goes to shit. Right. Right. So through the, the Oh, just like real life. Right. Yeah. So the, th- through the course of the day, it's just like these ebbs and flows of energy. Right. And you're like, you know, so you're like craziness. And then five minutes later, everybody comes together and they're all working quietly. And you're like, what is this? This is, this is it. And then like 10 minutes later, right. So it's really like learning to deal with the chaos, but those little moments of where everything just works is like what it makes it all worth it for, for us and for them. Like that's where they're learning. Right. So they need that chaos to figure out, you know, how to get back to, to normalcy. Right. So by them deciding what the the boundaries are, right? The boundaries are always there. So that's the guardrails to keep everything from going too far off the rails, but they're there enforcing that. And like I said, if they didn't make those rules, there would be bullying, right? But since they decided that this is something we care about, they will enforce it. Wow. I just, I mean, my kid is participating in this social right.
0: experiment. 100%. And I still don't believe it. Right. I mean, I believe, you, right. you know what I mean? It's right. like, and, yeah. and, and I mean, I think that just goes to show how little credit we give kids. That right. it's like, it's my kid. I want him to thrive. Of right. course. I trust you. Like right. I said, I paid you for <laughs> right. this. Like we're in the founding class. Like I'm right. all in. Right. And in my mind, I'm still like, yeah, this is going to fail. And it's going to be, right. total. you know, exactly. it's like, it's just, it's and I crazy. Do, I
1: say that too. Right. And like every once <laughs> in a while, like there'll be a moment and I'm like, why did you do this? This was a stupid idea. Like yeah. it's <laughs> never and then you're work. Like, and then you're like, but
0: no wait, it's actually working. Yeah. This it's has
1: crazy. been, this has been happening since 2009 and I've seen the products that come out of Acton Academy and they're amazing. Yeah. Right. These children that are graduating from high school out of Acton are on a different level, different caliber of human that we're producing than what you get anywhere else. Right. Even the top end private schools, that cost 20, 30,000 a year. I would take an Acton student any day over any of them. Right. Amazing.
0: You know, there, there was a time in our history, and it, it's even reflected, I, you, we were both in the military, and we'll get to that in a minute, yeah. you know, it, there's still to this day, if you're an Eagle Scout, you get like a one rank advancement in the enlisted, yes. Um, yes. because you were an Eagle Scout, right. and so, you know, there was a time where military service to be in Congress, or Boy Scouts right. into military, or, you know, there was a time where there was kind of these um, these peacocking mechanisms if you will or just like these you know kind of what college is supposed to be now where it's like well we don't really care what you learn but at least we can show that you can stick to something for four years so it it feels like there were these moments in histories or these establishments in history where it's like all right well i don't know i don't know about james but you know he was in the military i can trust him with my kid (laughs) stuff like that right um do you think there will be a time in the future where employers will just know like oh this is an acting kid give him the benefit
1: of the doubt i think it's already happening really right, on the, in, the, in the right location. So what ends up happening is, so every year, every acting student, basically from seven years old up, starts their own business every single year, right? And we're going to get into that starting in October here. And then at the end of that six, for they do it for six weeks, they develop a product or service, and they sell it in a business fair. A lot of these students keep that business going, right? And a lot of times by the time they're, getting ready to graduate college or high school, they have a six-figure-plus business that they keep running. And then once they get to middle school, we make them do apprenticeships, right? So they figure out, this is what I'm interested in. Okay, we're going to let them know, here's how you reach out to that business, local business you're interested in, working in, and actually talk to the owner and get them to let you come in as an apprentice, right? So a lot of times those apprenticeships in middle school and high school will lead to the business owner being like, hey, I know you're thinking about college, but, like, I, I, I see what you're capable of, and I'm going to pay you 70 grand, like, now. So if you want to just go right into the workforce, like, let's do that. And the story I always tell is um, there's an acting in California, I can't remember which one. So there was a guy, in uh, a student in high school, and his passion was, like, graphic design, right? So they advised him, hey, um, – reach out to the company that you're like dream company to work for, you know, learn everything you can about this company. And uh, so as he's researching this company, he saw they had a job opening for a senior graphic designer. Right. So most high school kids would be like, Oh, all right. Well, maybe after college, right. I can go in there. And he's like, you know what? I, I've been doing graphic design since I was like 10. I have a portfolio. I'm going to apply. Right. So he applies for this job and they, you know, on the job listing, it says, we're going to pick a, you know, somebody by this date. So the date comes, he doesn't get a call. He's like, all right, I didn't get it. So this company had a major like, design project for a new product they are putting out. And so what he did with his graphic design skills was he made like a promo for them for this new product, emailed it to the hiring manager and said, hey, look, I know I didn't get the job, but I really love your company, and I thought if you could use this, this might help. Right, he sends that to him. Week later, phone call from the hiring manager, and they're like, "Hey, listen, you didn't get the job. You weren't, you didn't have, you weren't qualified. But we're so impressed with what you did and your effort. We are going to make a job for you, right? So whenever you're ready to move to Silicon Valley, the job's waiting. So he's a senior at Actin, and he goes in the next week, and he's like, "I'm done, right? He'd already." had enough credits and all that stuff to graduate like two years before. Right. So he's like, I'm going to go to Silicon Valley and start a job right now. So I'm done with actin. Right. And that's the caliber of people that are getting produced out of actin. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So that's, you know, like I said, you can <clears throat> see what they're, when you actually let children like have agency in their learning and their life, mm-hmm. they are capable of way more than we ever thought they are.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, so uh, speaking of hero's journey, you know, we had a little conversation uh, over my all-time favorite movie uh, about your hero's journey. Tell us where you're from because clearly you've worked in education your whole life if you're opening your your own school, right? I mean, that's got to be the only possible path. Yeah, who
1: else would do that? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, education is about as far. I have a lot of education traditionally, but yeah, not my path. So um, I grew up uh, lower middle class, uh, but I went to, I grew up in like, right outside of Washington, D.C. So basically I was lucky enough that the schools were so terrible, like most of the public schools had metal detectors where I grew up, and uh, my parents struggled. to. They sent me to private school. Uh, And if I didn't, I probably would still be either in jail or that's where most people in my neighborhood, that's where they are now, or jail. So uh, but luckily when I was seven or eight, uh, the great movie Top Gun came out, and I saw that movie, and I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to fly fighter jets for the U.S. Navy. And uh, I was in the Boy Scouts or the Cub Scouts, whatever, at the time. And they have that magazine, Boys Life Magazine. Because I didn't know I didn't know how you got to be a fighter pilot, right? I just knew yeah. that that looked really cool. Super cool. Super cool, right? Like yeah. flying off aircraft carriers, that sounds and awesome. You get to, and you get to sleep with Kelly McGillis. Yes, yeah, so. that was the <laughs> best part, right? Like, and so I'm like, how do I do this? So Boys Life Magazine had this article about this F-14 pilot. And he went to the U.S. Naval Academy. Uh, and I'm like, okay, so that's what I need to do. I need to go to the Naval Academy. And I didn't know, like, it was one of the top universities in the nation, right? I'm like, that's what I need to do. And luckily, it was, like, 20 minutes away from where I grew up. So I got to go visit and, see, like, see this crazy campus and all these people in their white uniforms marching around. And I just fell in love. I'm like, this is what I want to do. So uh, I just set my sights on, like, this is what I'm doing and, like, marching down the road to get to the Naval Academy. Uh, But unfortunately for me, like, I was more interested in sports and women than I was in, like, academics. So, uh, but luckily I was, like, did enough things. So I actually, when I applied to the Naval Academy, did not get in. But since I was, like, had so much potential, they thought, uh, they sent me to the prep school for a year. So after high school, I went up to Newport, Rhode Island for the Naval Academy prep school and then barely made it through that. And then went to the Naval Academy uh, for four years. So, uh, after, while I was at the Naval Academy, uh, at some point earlier in my life, like, my vision went bad. And this is, like, pre, like, days when they do eye surgery. So, like, if you're, pilots require, like, 20-20 vision, right? Uh, so, I didn't have that. So, that meant, like, I couldn't be Maverick and I had to be Goose. And so, but I, I realized that at the early age. And I'm like, all right, uh, I'm going to be a backseater in F-14. And that's, like, I set my sight on it and that's what I, went to do. And that's what I, so I selected, they're called Naval flight officers. So I selected Naval flight officer out of, uh, out of the Naval Academy and then went to flight school.
0: But you don't just get to pick to be in flight Academy, right? Like you have to earn your way into it.
1: Right. So you have to be qualified. So everything you do at the Naval Academy is graded everything. Uh, so they boil it down to your ranking, right? So whereas the class is about 1200 people so you're ranked, you know, between 1 to 1,200, and I think I finished out, like, 700-something. Seven, uh, and so you get to put in, like, here's my dream sheet. So, like, number one for me was naval flight officer. Number two was surface warfare, like the guys who drive ships, right? And you put down, I think, number three was submarines, and I really, I like the sun a lot, so submarines wasn't something I wanted to do. Everything else being like, on a submarine sounds like the most miserable existence ever I possibly yeah. imagine. Yeah, I went on a submarine once, like when it was in port and like walked down the stairs, like a couple decks deep, and I'm like, nope, and it went right back up. Yeah, no, it sounds <laughs> absolutely freaking right. miserable. Yeah, so I knew that was not for me, but you know, bless those guys who do that because like we need them, and but for me, it wasn't Marine Corps, not interesting to me, like just a little bit too rigid. You didn't want to carry, like, 900 pounds on your back every day? Right. Well, the problem with the Marine Corps is uh, they care much more. I mean, they're very talented, but they care a lot about appearances, right? So if you're in the field as a Marine, your boots are still shiny, right? Like, your uniform still has to have creases in it and all this stuff. And, like, the other services don't care about that. So, like, one of my trainings at the academy, I spent a week with the SEALs, right? And the SEALs are awesome. All they care about is that you... Can do the work. Right. So we're like, we're repelling out of helicopters. We're like, uh, you know, they're picking us up in fast boats and we're doing night raids and all this cool stuff. And, uh, they don't even care. Like just show up. We don't care if you have a beard, whatever you look like, just be here and put out. Right. Then we go right to the Marine Corps and it's all about uniform inspections. And yeah. And I was just completely turned off. Sir, is it.
0: that a five o'clock shot? I don't right. really know. Like, I'm black. Right. Like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> on, give me a break. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> I was completely turned off by the Marine Corps so yeah, naval flight officer was just right up my alley and uh I think I probably was within five people of not getting what I wanted, but uh got what I wanted and then uh you know, got to select when I went down to flight school. So every, So like real
0: like top gun shit, like in a plane, off of aircraft carriers, right, yeah. blowing stuff up.
1: Right. So I mean like everybody, you know, flight school itself is like two years long, right? Yeah. So like, there's there's that much to learn. Yeah. So (laughs) like you start off where it's like, you know, you're in six plus weeks of like just classroom. Right. So learning like,
0: how does air work?
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, really like, it's like airplane engines. It's like meteorology. How does the weather work? Aerodynamics. Like how do airplanes actually fly? Right. Uh, How to read maps, navigate. So you do all that. And then you get into like the survival stuff. Right. Like a lot of time in the pool. Like what happens when you eject out of an airplane? And your parachute comes down on top of you in the water, and you're tangled in it, right? How you do you die? Right, right. So, you just die. Yeah, you could, <laughs> or you know, you go through the procedures to learn how to get that parachute off of you and cut everything off. Or what if you're in a helicopter when a helicopter crashes? You know what happens? No, helicopters are top heavy. Helicopter hits the water and it does this. It flips upside down immediately. Immediately. Um, okay. So they have this. So that th- sucks. They have this thing, and it's just like a thing of terror. It's called the the, the Hilo Dunker. You ever seen the movie An Officer and a Gentleman, by any mm-hmm. chance? hmm So they did the, you know, that pool scene? Yeah. They did this thing called the Dilbert Dunker, where it's yeah. just, like, cockpit they sit in, and it goes, hits the water and flips upside down and goes to the bottom of the pool? Yeah. Yeah, so it's similar to that, except you're in a helicopter, and, like, they drop it into the water, and this thing just goes upside down, right? So, and then goes to the bottom of the pool. So, and you're strapped in. So... Uh, You start and it's like the first time there's like windows and like as soon as the motion stops, you can unstrap and go out any way you want, get to the surface, you're good, right? Then they up the stakes, right? From there, it's like, okay, now you have to, everybody has to go out the pilot's door. So you're in the back of the crew area of the helicopter. Now you got to get to the pilot's door, but all your references are reverse, right? Because you're upside down. You're upside down. And you're like under 10 feet of water, right? So it's like terrifying, right? And then, so you finally get through that, and then they up the stakes again. Because now you're putting, putting on, you're blindfolded, basically. You have goggles that are blacked out. Because what happens if this happens at night? You can't see any of this, right? So, like, you literally have to know, like, okay, I'm in this seat, and I can feel here and get this handhold, and I know I have to keep going this direction, right? But it's all reversed. And then there's, like, 10 or 12 other people in there with you who are kicking, and you're getting kicked in the face. And so... Uh, so, yeah, that's part of flight school. Then you have to learn. Um, Wait, do people fail that? Because I'm thinking like. Oh, yeah,
0: I almost did. Yeah, I'm thinking of like, um, so I was in the Army. Yeah. I, I, I know for certain, because i was an infantry guy, I know for certain if I would have stayed in, I could have made it through ranger school. I could have made right. it through maybe selection for green right. braids. Because it's like most of that is you just put on a heavy pack and you keep walking <laughs> right. and, you, and you mentally don't give up. Right. But the whole Navy SEAL thing of like. That sensation of drowning, which, oh, yeah. I, which I've been there a couple times back, you know, 50 pounds and 25 years ago when I used to surf. Right. That sensation of drowning and then being constantly cold and miserable. Yeah. No good. Fuck that. No bueno. Like, I've yeah. read all this stuff about um, ranger school where it's like, well, is it better go during winter phase right. or summer phase? I'm like, summer. I'll, give me the swamps. Right. Give me dehydration. Give me salt pills. Give me alligators and snakes right. swimming up my pants. But, dude, don't make me be cold. Right. Um, and wet. Yeah. And so that would terrify the shit out of
1: me. Right. Um, and they're doing uh, it like they're, you know, so there's like, there's thunder sounds in the pool and they're like simulating the downwash from helicopters. And then you have to learn, like, once you get back to the surface, okay, now a helicopter is going to come pick me up. How does that work? Right. Like, how do I hoist onto the helicopter the whole thing? Right. And so all this happens before, and then you have to learn, like, if I parachute, I have an airplane, like, how do I fly a parachute? Right. right. How do I land a parachute? Right. You're like, hey, how about I just don't get shot down? Right. How about I'm just a really good pilot and I don't get shot down? So you have all these skills before you even see an airplane. Right. Right. So you do that for six weeks and then you finally like start what they call primary flight training.
0: And let me ask, do you think they're doing that because there's really a chance that you're ever, even in a wartime situation, going to have to eject and cut the parachute? Are they just trying to eliminate people that aren't mentally tough?
1: No, I mean, I know one of my best friends, in fact, uh, 100% 100% had to do that in the real, real life, not oh, in combat, right? But like he ejected, uh, and 100% had to do that, almost drowned. Oh. So this is like, this is all legit training all right, uh, cool. for things that can actually happen. But then, yeah. Then, so you graduate from that and then you actually still don't see an airplane. You, now you're like in simulators and you're actually learning like, okay, where all the buttons are in the first airplane. Then you start flying like, you know, these are smaller, like propeller airplanes. they they have jet engines, but they're, they're turboprops So they're driving a, a propeller and you learn the basics of flight all the way up to like where you can fly by yourself. So how many years before they put you in like a multi-million-dollar jet? Two. Okay. Yeah. So you do that. Still seems too fast to me. Right. So you do that, (laughs) but you think about it, right? Like if you did it every single day, this is your job. Yeah. Right. It's not like somebody learned to fly on the weekends. They fly like once or twice a month, every single day. This is all you do. Right. right. So you can get very good, very quickly. Right. So after you do that small airplanes and like, you know, it's, smaller jets then you slowly work your way up so after two years uh you're now able to get your wings like the wings of gold from top gun right you get that but you still don't know anything right you still are not capable of flying like a fighter jet so then after my wings you talked about being cold then you have to go to seer school join us next week for the second half of this podcast